0: Pairings, a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste.
1: Today we're discussing the summer book by Tova Janssen and pairing it with contemporary reads that feature similar wanted to
0: ask for a favor at the top of our episode today we normally tuck this ask into the end of our episodes but sometimes we like to put it out in front we would love if you have 30 seconds for you to leave us a review on apple podcasts it's super easy and quick to do and it makes a huge, huge difference to us in the podcast charts and helping new listeners find us. It also just makes us so happy to hear what you love about the podcast. Recently, we got the sweetest review from Jennifer Marie. She said, These ladies always leave a smile on my face and a desire to add about 80 more books to my TBR. While perhaps not 100% good for my budget, this podcast flexes my mind, is always a source of joy, and never disappoints to inspire. As someone who studied literature in college, this podcast is the perfect blend of literary criticism, book club, and tangents that make me laugh. Thanks so much, Chelsea and Sarah, for putting this podcast together. It's the best. Well, thank you for that review. That very much left a smile on our
1: faces. Jennifer, we really appreciate you. That review was so sweet. They really are fun to read and they seriously make a huge difference in the podcast charts. Podcasting is still, there's a lot of mystery associated with it, but we do know that for sure reviews help. So thank you so much for writing those and supporting Novel Pairings. We are really grateful for you listeners.
0: Well, I am very excited to talk about the summer book today. This is a book that... I hadn't heard of until last year, um, but I think we can call it a, a modern classic. And I think that the more I've learned about Tova Janssen, the more I, I realize she she really is a classic writer who I was
1: just completely unfamiliar with. I had never even, I mean, I probably had heard of or encountered a Moomin book at some point, but they were not a part of my childhood at all. Mm-mm. Mine mine, neither. Um, but I loved
0: learning about the movements.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're really cute. And I'm intrigued now, but I, yeah, I was like, movements. okay, sure. That was a thing that she did, but that was like a significant part of her career. And then the summer book was written in 1972. And at that point, Tove Janssen was almost 60 years old. And yeah, I'm just I really appreciated the introduction in this edition, um, just to get to know her better and get some context for this book. It really helped a lot,
0: yeah, we're both reading the New York Review of Books edition, which i I think is the easiest edition to get, at least in the the u s. It has a great little biography of the author Toba Jansen in the beginning. And then a wonderful introduction by Katherine Davis about why she loves Janssen's work, in particular this book. That was really helpful in setting the scene. We know this is a book that maybe fewer people have read coming into this episode. So we want to give you just a little bit of background information, a little bit of summary. This book is impossible to to spoil, and we'll talk about why that yeah. is. So, you can consider this entire episode spoiler free and a way to discover if this is a book you maybe want to read rather than just coming to it after having read it.
1: So, Tova Janssen was born in 1914 and she died in 2001. And I just always think those dates are helpful to contextualize the time. That an author lived through and she was born in Helsinki and we were kind of I don't know we were a little um awestruck because I don't know that much about Helsinki or Finland but apparently her family was part of Finland's Swedish-speaking minority and so this book is translated from Swedish but Tove Janssen and her family lived in Finland and they often vacationed on these little islands in the Gulf of Finland, which has obviously a major connection to the summer book, which is set on a little island as well. There are also illustrations in this book that I just, I loved so
0: much every time I would get to one of the illustrations. They're Sweet, but but also kind of stark. They're, you know, all black and white sketches, and you really never see the characters' faces, but you get a good sense of who they are from their body language and kind of the mood that each picture creates. They're really lovely. This book, one of the reasons it's impossible to spoil is it's not really about anything (laughs) plot-wise. It tells the story of a young girl named Sophia. And her grandmother, uh, Sophia's mother has died. We We learn that very early in the book, but in a very um, subdued way. Janssen just kind of slips that in. And we follow Sophia and her grandmother through, I don't know, sometimes kind of plucky adventures, sometimes, we just witness their melancholy moods sometimes we witness important conversations between them sometimes arguments um yeah and we just we see them together and that's really what the the book is about the the bond between these two female characters and yeah i mean i mean the the this is one of those books that <laughs> the plot doesn't matter and That might be a complete turnoff to a lot of our our listeners, right? That this is 100% not a plot-driven book. This is very much character-driven, also driven by the structure. Chelsea, you've already used the word vignettes. This is told in a series of vignettes, these kind of mini stories or um, impressions or moments where we get a really deep look Into the characters in that moment. And then we
1: jump ahead to another moment. I love books that are written in vignettes or short stories, but that are interconnected. And so I really, really enjoyed the format of this one. And the short little chapters or vignettes were just so lovely for my attention span the way it is right now. I agree. I think this is a perfect book for
0: right now um it's it's lovely and summery in a very different way from any other summer book (laughs) I can think of but it still has that leisurely like long days of summer feel and literal long days because we're in Scandinavia here where the sun doesn't set till very late um and it's it's Sweet but poignant, and we'll we'll get into some of that. But I think since we said this is a character driven book, let's talk about our our
1: characters. Um, what'd you think of Sophia? (laughs) She's really charming. Sometimes I was like, oh, she is such a little shit. (laughs) (laughs) She is, yeah. (laughs) But her grandmother like let's her get away with it (laughs) or is must be entertained by it. Sometimes she's annoyed by her. We, I think mostly see Sophia through the grandmother's eyes. Yes. So we don't get a lot from Sophia's perspective. I thought it was in the balance. We get a little bit more. We see Sophia through the grandmother. Um, But she's about as precocious as any six-year-old kid would be if they had an entire island to themselves. She's curious and imaginative and has a lot of questions. But when she's not happy with her grandmother's answers, she makes that very clear, which Mm -hmm. I found delightful. Their conversations were so sweet. Um, And there is just that line of sadness running throughout the book where you can tell Sophia is grappling with her grief as only a child can. It's often through imagination and it's often through asking questions that are maybe like in a roundabout way about her mother. Like she's really concerned with heaven and hell. In a lot of the vignettes, she's asking her grandmother or she's deeply concerned about where people go when they die, having her help, but she never actually connects that back to her mother. Um, Or like in one of the vignettes when they're playing an imaginary game about Venice and there's like, she's pretending to have a mother in the game. So there are a lot of clues and indications that she is, is really sad and is missing her mom, but just, it felt so true to childhood. What did you think of Sophia and her friend Bernice? Because it's the only time that we get another little kid in the book.
0: Oh, I loved that so much. Poor Bernice. She loves Bernice because Bernice has great hair. Really, that's it. So she invites Bernice to the island. And then she gets very annoyed. Well, first, she wants to protect Bernice. Bernice isn't her real name, first of all. They give her that name because <laughs> they think that she's like, she has like a nobility about her. And Bernice is a very noble sounding name. And Bernice is afraid of everything. She's afraid of the weather and of bugs and just going out in the boat, everything that you would do or sea, on an island she's afraid of. And at first, Sophia's like, I'm going to be her protector. And that lasts about five minutes. And then she just gets extremely annoyed that Bernice is afraid of everything and won't do anything. So I think she pushes her in the water (laughs) (laughs) out of frustration. And then it's just like, her hair cannot handle salt water.
1: And what I liked about her best was her hair. So... (laughs) let's get her off this island. (laughs) I like that grandmother doesn't necessarily step in and make Sophia behave any certain way. She just kind of lets it play out. She asks Sophia questions and she sort of holds a meeting with her every now and then to check in about Bernice, but she doesn't step in and say, you know, you really need to be nicer to Bernice or, She doesn't really do any of that, but grandmother takes it all in and her observations about the situation are really fascinating. So I loved the passage where grandmother's thinking, if only she were a little bigger, I could tell her that I understand how awful it is to be on an island with a bunch of people who live on the island and you don't. Um, she's thinking an island can be dreadful for someone from outside. Everything is complete and everyone has his obstinate, sure, and self-sufficient place. Within their shores, everything functions according to rituals that are hard as rock from repetition. And at the same time, they amble through their days as whimsically and casually as if the world ended at the horizon. Grandmother thought about all these things so intensely that she forgot about the potatoes and Bernice. (laughs) She gazed out over the lee shore to the waves that swept around the island on both sides and then rejoined and moved on toward the mainland. A long blue landscape of vanishing waves that left only a small ledge of quiet water behind them. A fishing boat with a big white mustache was sailing across the bay. And grandmother sort of turns this into a situation to bring Bernice into their world mm-hmm. in a really charming, lovely way. That doesn't go over as well with Sophia, but <laughs> um, but that's lovely. But I I really liked this little observation of what it's like to be with a really tight-knit group of people that you don't understand. I mean, If you are hanging out with a group of friends and they've known each other for a long time and they have a bunch of inside jokes, you're gonna feel left out and that feeling is really awful. And if you are, you know, going over to someone's house as a little kid and their family just kind of goes about their routine without trying to include you in it because they're so used to it. And you're like, what is happening? (laughs) that's a really isolating feeling. And I love that grandmother was able to articulate that so beautifully and understand because she's been there before.
0: Mm -hmm. I loved that, that passage too. And I, I think this is the writing in this book and, and the translation are phenomenal. And this just Moments like that made me feel like this is really a book. I can see why so many writers cite this as a beloved book because it really is one of those books that takes emotions and uses just really inventive and evocative imagery and storytelling to bring those I don't know, to make those emotions like almost tangible, right? Like the feeling of isolation, she just so wraps up in her descriptions of the island and grandmother's thoughts. It's very much a masterwork of writing craft.
1: Um, The last thing that I'll say about Sophia before we move on, because we've already started to talk about grandmother and I think we could spend a lot of time on her, is just that I think... That this book is full of i i feel like we're missing so much of sophia mm-hmm. we're only getting or we're mostly getting the frustrating sides of sophia where she's asking too many questions and grandmother can't remember enough to answer all of them or where she's grumpy and she's saying i hate my family and you all suck <laughs> or she's um changing her mind and she's being fickle as little kids are. Like, I don't want this kitten. I want that. No, now I want the other kitten back. We're often getting the stormy sides of Sophia, which makes sense because she is grieving. And that's just the tone of this book there are some sweet moments, there are some poignant moments, but also it's just like the real life. Like this is how people feel a lot of the time. And when you're in a family, you're annoyed with each other a lot of the time. Or when you have kids or grandkids, sometimes you just want them to leave you alone so you can go read your book. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that all felt so real, but I also loved the moments where it was clear that Sophia's innocence and perspective of the world were so helpful for grandmother in bringing her back to her own youth like when sophia says to her when when grandmother is thinking i can't even remember what it's like to sleep in a tent and sophia says oh i can describe it to you and she does and she's like i hope that helps you remember better i'm going to go and she runs off <laughs> and grandmother does remember then and she kind of gets to bask in her memories of her youth so those those moments where Sophia even unwittingly really shows that that love and compassion and and help towards grandmother are really really
1: lovely okay let's get into grandmother because she feels like more of the star of the show And Tova Janssen was closer to being Grandmother's age when she wrote this. Um, However, because she had just lost her own mother, I think she was just really able to sort of bridge that age gap between Sophia and Grandmother in such an interesting, lovely way. But Grandmother is the character that I'll be thinking about long after reading this book.
0: Absolutely. And I don't know why, but that's not what I was expecting. I think I was expecting it either to be a little bit more balanced or it to be Sophia's book, maybe because Sophia gets a name and grandmother doesn't, mm-hmm. um, or maybe just because of how how little fiction there is that features so prominently women around grandmother's age. Like Maybe I just went in kind of biased. Or, you know, with a certain set of expectations. I loved that this was Grandmother's book. It really is. It's, it's her her book. And I I love her. I mean, I, I think that the the back cover describes Grandmother as unsentimental and wise, if a little cranky. And I think that's a, a great way to describe her. But there, there's such a vastness to her character that can't really be captured in a handful of adjectives either. There, there's just so much complexity in in her life and in her
1: character. I very much saw my grandmother's in her character. And I don't know if that is like a Scandinavian thing <laughs> because my both of my grandmother's um, one is German and like her mother spoke German around the house. And then the other one is German and Norwegian. And I don't know if it is just a part of the culture to be unsentimental, but also really sassy and then sometimes sweet. Like they have their sweet moments, but my grandmas are stubborn and I just really, really recognized grandmother. Yeah. She reminded me a little bit of,
0: the grandmother in my Antonia in that, that way as well, that stubbornness. And um, yeah, I, I loved it. And I loved that. I loved the depiction of a grandmother who, you know, was doing so much for this, for this child. I mean, you know, really, really sacrificing playing with her, her patience was, I think quite impressive. But because we're in her mind, we also get her crankiness and annoyance with Sophia. And I appreciated that depiction. Yeah. <laughs> um, not It so, felt real. It, exactly. It felt so real. Although it's not something I think we see in a lot of stories.
1: I'm just thinking of one specific instance where Sophia is getting annoying asking questions. And grandma... <laughs> swears oh, <laughs> and yeah. Sophia forgets all of her questions and she's like oh, you swore and so grandma decides to like teach her a sassy song about mm-hmm. cow shit <laughs> and then Sophia's like oh, what did you say and you know Then they're all just kind of happy and laughing together. And so the times when grandmother decides to like, oh, I just am going to distract her and just pulls out a surprise like that versus the times when she just really like leans into play. It doesn't seem like there's a pattern or a rhyme or reason to it. She's just kind of going with what she decides in the moment
0: which again feels so real like just based on how she's feeling at the moment sometimes she needs a nap or sometimes she needs a cigarette. Yeah. And she needs <laughs> Sophia to stop asking her what hell is. And mm-hmm. that is totally understandable and I yeah, I just I loved I loved her character and how much of her character was revealed through this relationship because it's not like we get tons of really any like flashbacks of grandmother's life. We we have some of her memories that she pulls in or stories that she tells Sophia, but you just really learn so much about this very strong woman through these daily
1: interactions with her granddaughter. And she says so much, both Tove Janssen is saying so much and then through grandmother. So much about what living out your days is like when you know you're at the end of your life. One of my favorites is Sophia is going through a rebellious phase and grandmother and Sophia are kind of like bickering back and forth. They're trying to play cards, but they're both cheating and they get mad at each other, (laughs) which that's another thing. Grandmother and Sophia sometimes just act like best friends, Mm -hmm. which is very cute. Mm Um, and then it says that grandma can only remember when she was just the most well-behaved little girl. She can't remember having a rebellious phase, but wise as she was, she realized that people can postpone their rebellious phases until they're 85 years old. And she decided to keep an eye on herself. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that so much. It's so good. It's so good.
0: Yeah, and it's true. Yeah, I mean, I I think that we are we've started getting into themes already. I think one of the major themes here is is youth and and age and where those two experiences overlap, and then also how how different uh, perspective on the world you have based on how long you have have been in it. I I think Sophia's curiosity is such a you know signifier of of youth and one of the one of the moments that I marked this is in the same chapter about camping called the tent is Sophia's very bossy also she's always telling everyone what to do (laughs) and she tells grandmother you're not allowed to go to sleep you have to tell me what it was like to be a scout and all the things you did and grandmother thinks a very long time ago, Grandmother had wanted to tell about all the things they did, but no one had bothered to ask, and now she had lost the urge. We had campfires, she answered briefly, and suddenly she felt sad. And I I loved, I loved the balance in this book between the witticisms and the feisty, fiery spirit of Grandmother, and then those moments of you know recalling that she hadn't got to tell about her life as much as she had wanted to and and people weren't as interested as she had hoped they would be and the sadness of that but also the sadness of recognizing that she doesn't even really care anymore she doesn't want to tell her stories anymore and i i just found that so brilliant and uh, just She's She does so much in a couple of sentences. It's really quite miraculous writing.
1: Yeah, and I, I love how playful grandmother is. I think in the first chapter or first couple of chapters, Sophia asks, what are you doing? And grandmother even says, I'm playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Her her true age really does show she's consistently using a walking stick. She'll say like, oh, no, my back is bad today. I can't do that. She takes a lot of naps and she's taking medication. And Sophia is even sometimes reminding her, did you take your
0: pills today?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and um, towards the end, this is in the chapter The Visitor a passage that I had marked that I just thought, oh my goodness. Um, So beautifully written, but also says a lot about aging and passing time in those sort of post retirement years sometimes. And it says the wind blew and blew. The wind was always blowing on this Island from one direction or another, a sanctuary for someone with work to do a wild garden for someone growing up, but otherwise just days on top of days and passing time. And grandmother is the one passing time. Father has work to do. Sophia, you know, is growing up and can have all of these games and fun. And grandmother joins in with Sophia now and then. But without Sophia, what would she be doing? She really would just be passing the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are some passages in here that just make you think like, oh, maybe grandmother is a little bit depressed. Like she reads three novels in a row and she doesn't even care what happens in them or just a few other things that that indicate that underlying melancholy and I don't know it's just it is such a beautiful example and such a beautiful book of realism
0: all right Chelsea well it sounds like you and I both really enjoyed this. We didn't
1: even start
0: with saying whether we <laughs>
1: liked yeah. it or not, but <laughs> I, I
0: think we we got there. Um I I did really enjoy this read. It it was both fast and slow for my mind and, and just the right way. And I loved the writing and, and I thought it was just such a special treat of a book that is unlike books that I've picked up recently. So, I'm curious and I I think to help our listeners out a little bit, like what what sorts of readers would you recommend this book to or what kind of like reading vibes does it fit?
1: I think that you made the point earlier that a lot of writers love this book. I think you know you don't necessarily have to consider yourself a writer to be interested in writing and the craft of writing and how authors put sentences together or how they create a mood i think that if you're interested in that or if you're a writer yourself this book is really going to work for you um but i just think anyone who enjoys a contemplative read i this was really lovely to read in between a couple of more plot driven books to just let me step back and get a little bit more reflective. And because it's so short, yes, it's not 350 pages of contemplation and reflection. It's less than 200 pages. And you just get so much out of each little vignette. So I say contemplative, but often that reads as boring mm-hmm. for people. I didn't find this book boring at all, but You know, that could just be me.
0: I think this is a contemplative work of literary fiction that people who typically don't love contemplative works of literary fiction would enjoy, in part because of the short chapters, in part because of the short length of the book as a whole. And I think there's a lot of readers who love kind of cranky curmudgeons in literature. Mm -hmm. And I think both Sophia and Grandmother are examples of that trope from time to time and so they're really fun characters to be with.
1: Well, Sarah, I think that we should talk about pairings because that's another way for people to know if they might like to pick up this book. Um that's listening to the pairings and seeing which contemporary reads match up really well and might intrigue them. And I'm really excited to hear what you have paired with this one because I'm definitely eager to pick up some more reflective contemplative reads this summer. All right. So
0: my first pairing is actually a middle grade book. And I can't remember if I've ever paired a middle grade book. Sometimes we do YA. Um, But this was one of my favorite books as a kid. It is called Jacob Have I Loved by Katherine Patterson. Did you read this as a kid?
1: I am almost positive that I did, but it I mean it's been so long. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I mean, the title's so familiar, (laughs) but I don't remember it.
0: Yeah. Um well Catherine Patterson, she's I think more famous for having written Bridge to Terabithia. And so she really she writes middle grade that is contemplative, that is often about about loss, about hard things. But she's a really beautiful writer, and I loved this book so much growing up. It is about two twins, Caroline and Sarah Louise, and they live on an island off the coast, I think of like South Carolina or North Carolina, and it takes place in the 1930s and 40s, kind of leading up to World War II. Which is not something that I remembered from my childhood reading, but I actually reread this for an episode of the SSR podcast that I got to go on recently, and was very surprised by the time period. But, <laughs> um, but the, yeah, this is this is middle grade historical fiction. So, of course, the island setting is really what first brought this book. To mind when I was reading the summer book and thinking about pairings, because it really is about what it's like to to live on a close knit island community. This is a group of really kind of hardworking people who rely on the the land and the sea to to make a living and. Sarah Louise and Caroline's father is a fisherman. Their mother came from the mainland and had maybe more, more of an opportunity to do something quote-unquote bigger with her life, but kind of fell in love with this community and of course their father and and has made a life for herself there. And similarly, Caroline is kind of the golden child sister and has very much an opportunity to. To leave the island and become something big and and great, and her twin Sarah Louise is not so sure she has those same opportunities. So it's kind of about you know who who gets stuck, who chooses to stay in a closed community, who leaves, who who do we let in? All of those same questions that some of the vignettes in the summer book explore. The other connection is just this generations of women. That the book focuses on there is the girls do have a mother who is alive and Jacob have I loved they also live with their grandmother who is not die it's not diagnosed in the book but is probably experiencing something like dementia and at times that makes her very cruel to her granddaughters and just that relationship between grandmother mother and daughters. And the interplay there is really poignant and lovely. Quite different from the relationship we see between Sophia and grandmother in the summer book, but still just that—that that questions of aging and you know generational, not strife, but just like wrestling with with who we are as a family and who we want to be to each other are are very much there. And Jacob have I loved so I can say definitively this book holds up as an adult. Reader, and it was not just nostalgia, I think that made me still love it as an adult. It really is contemplative and thoughtful with beautiful imagery, great characters. Um, So that is Jacob Have I Loved by Katherine Patterson.
1: Okay, my first pairing is also literary, but I think if a reader wants something where a little bit more happens, but they still get that like isolated island feeling. This is a great book to pick up. It is Castle of Water by Dane Hucklebridge. And this came out a couple of summers ago, yeah, 2017. And the cover is really quite colorful and stunning. But it is about two people who are surviving on a small island after a plane crash. So it almost, I mean, if you just heard the premise, it would sound like a romance novel or a thriller, I think, because these two people who are on a plane together and have completely separate lives and also like don't really like each other that much right away are forced to get to know each other and survive together and lean on each other for survival when their plane crashes in the middle of the South Pacific and... They have to survive the wreck and find an island, and they live on the island together. So, um, we have Sophie, who is French, and Barry, who is American. And Sophie was supposed to be on her honeymoon. And so she is experiencing the grief of losing her fiance in the plane crash. And Barry is just escaping his life in Manhattan and looking for something new. So, like I said, plane crashes, they are on the island. This is all within, you know, the first few pages of the book. And then they have to survive together. And it is just you know, strong on the prose, but also keeps you hooked because, of course, it's a survival story. And what really made me think of this as a pairing for the summer book was just the passages about isolation on an island and how people living together on an island develop their own rhythms and develop their own routines. And from the outside looking in, someone, you know, would have a really hard time penetrating that or joining in. But those routines and those rhythms are really, really important for the survival of of those people because of what living on an island in isolation is like. And so that really reminded me of Castle of Water. And I also just think this is a really good book to read in the summertime. So Castle of Water by Dane Hucklebridge. I've been curious about that book since it came out, and I,
0: I'm glad to hear you talk about it here. I, I would like to pick it up at some point.
1: I think you would enjoy it. It's also really short. I remember thinking after I read it, and I have like, I have a lot of friends on Goodreads who like five stars loved this book, and I think I gave it three just because I was like, eh, it's a little MFAE <laughs> to me. Like it, it just read a little. I don't know like he was trying too hard. That makes sense. (laughs) Sure. Um, But I wonder if I read it again, if I would think differently, I did really like it.
0: All right. Well, my next pick is something I read a long time ago. So I am relying on summaries and good reads and my foggy memory to tell you a little bit about Lighthouse Keeping by Jeanette Winterson. Jeanette Winterson is one of my favorite authors. I think I've read nearly everything she's written um, and really enjoyed them all. But Lighthouse Keeping is about a orphan girl named Silver, and Silver is taken in by a lighthouse keeper named mr pew he has lived alone on this island manning this this lighthouse for many years he is he's blind and silver is like this kind of godsend of a of a helper and so in addition to teaching her how to keep the lighthouse he also tells her a lot of like fables and folk tales and really spurs on her imagination and her her understanding of what the world could be and and might be about. So she, he mostly tells her these books about these stories about Babel Dark, and um, it's Babel Dark is kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde type creature. So there's a lot of discussion of kind of good and and evil in this book, in a similar. Well, in a very different way from the summer book, but still that kind of those ongoing conversations between two characters of very different ages and very different viewpoints about what what is good and what is bad and and what the world um, the world ought to be like. And I think that what really struck me about why these two books might might pair together is that. A lot of the summer book felt like fables to me, like either grandmother telling Sophia fables, Sophia telling grandmother fables, or Tova Janssen telling us fables to kind of teach us or inspire certain reflection in us. And that is very much true of Lighthouse Keeping as well. There are fables within the book that Mr. Pugh tells Silver, but it's also a reflection on like what it means to to keep a lighthouse, and the lighthouse is is a metaphor um, for safe safe harbor, and who who's tasked with keeping us all safe. And so, I, I think that they're both kind of exploring deeper questions in a way through imagery, metaphors, um, storytelling, all of that. And so I think that that connection there, of course, the island connection um, also struck me. Um, So yeah, I, I think that, and again, I have not read this in a long time and I wanted to flip back through it before we recorded and just didn't get a chance. But because I love Jeanette Winterson so much, I feel confident recommending it. And I will say though, I cannot give any trigger warnings because of how long it's been since I read this, but Jeanette Winterson's books converge into pretty dark territory and um, sometimes contain fairly, like, frank, graphic depictions of sex. I cannot remember if this is one of those books, but many of her books are. Um, not not violent or gratuitous or anything like that, um, but just frank, I think, is the best descriptor for how how some of her descriptions go. So I will put that out there as well. So that is Lighthouse Keeping by Jeanette Winterson. All right.
1: So as I was reading the summer book, I kept thinking about Mary Oliver's poetry. Yes. And how much it reminded me of her nature poems specifically. I think if you've read Mary Oliver's poetry and you like it, you would really like the summer book. And if you read the summer book and you like it, you would love Mary Oliver's poetry. They just go so well together. Because of the imagery and also Mary Oliver often writes about um, just how to spend your days Mm -hmm. living a life. She muses on death every now and then. And just does such a beautiful job of connecting nature to real everyday stuff. So the collection that I'll specifically recommend is a thousand mornings. And I feel like this collection, even though all of her poems sort of have have that similar flavor, I feel like this one specifically is mostly about being connected to nature. It Really, um, she shares a lot of vivid imagery about her Massachusetts home on the coast. And she's got poems about animals. She's got poems about, you know, leaves and the flora and fauna of the area. And she just has this way of connecting the physical and visual to the reflective and contemplative. And so she's also got a little bit of a sense of humor. Like some of her poems can lean, askew a little dark or a little melancholy, but she's really funny too. So I just, the tone in general of Mary Oliver's poetry just feels like such a perfect fit for the summer book. So that's A Thousand Mornings by Mary Oliver. All right. My final pairing today is actually a book I'm I'm in the
0: middle of which I rarely do but I really want to plug it here so I'm going to it is Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner have you read this one or I think maybe you checked it out from the library
1: recently yeah I have it from the library and I read like the first couple pages and I was like oh I need to like be able to sit down and take the time. So maybe this weekend is when I'll get to it. After reading the summer book is actually like, maybe that's the perfect time for me to pick it up. I, I think it might be. If if you
0: don't need like a little palate cleanser in between, which would also be totally understandable. Um, but Crying in H Mart, it came out just earlier this year. It's by Michelle Zahner. And it is a, it's a memoir about, It's about the loss of of her mother. Um, The book begins with the sentence, ever since my mom died, I cry in H-mart. And that really sets the tone for for this book, which is a reflection on and processing of and depiction of grief and loss. Michelle Zahner lost her mom when she was in her mid-20s. And she she wrestles with that in her relationship with her mother, which was sometimes fraught and testy and sometimes just seemingly perfect and sweet and so magical. And she does a lot of thinking, thinking back, telling the story of her relationship with her mother. Um, Michelle Zahner's mother, immigrated from korea and so there's also quite a bit of reflection on um on korean american identity and zoner thinking about who she is and what her connection to her korean heritage is if her mother isn't there anymore i and i found that i'm finding that reflection really powerful just like who how our family are not just part of our identities because of how they've you know, shaped us day to day, but because of the ties to the past and our heritage that they, they have for us. And then how, how loss kind of interrupts some of our, our ties to our own heritage and our own past. Just a really fascinating reflection. I think this is a great pairing for the summer book. Because, number one, it's a book that writers will love. I mean, her writing is just so smart and deep. And she'll take your breath away with how she words things. Number two, of course, it's it's a reflection on grief. But more so, it's a very impressionistic reflection on grief. I mean, because this really is a memoir about Going through the grieving process, it's a lot more direct, b- directly about grief than the summer book. But at the same time, she really is exploring her grief through this this series of m- small moments. Whether it's, you know, being in in H Mart or um, being out to dinner or um, or reflecting on her beginning life as a musician, so she's really telling us about the story of her mother through small moments in the same way that Toby Jansen is exploring grief and the relationship between grandmother and Sophia through those small moments. So, yeah, I, I think these books, they're very different, but I really think if you like one, you would like the other and that they, for me, have been really interesting to be reading at the same time. And so if you recently have read one or the other, I think reading them close to each other would would be really powerful for you as well. So that is Crying in H-Mart by Michelle
1: Zonner. Sarah, I didn't plan it this way, but I have a memoir for my final pairing as well. How perfect. This is a lesser known memoir in translation, and I bet you'll never guess where I sourced it <laughs> from. <laughs> Your favorite publishers. Yes, this is from Pushkin Press. This is the last book that was in my little nonfiction bundle that I got myself yeah, for Christmas from them last year. That
0: bundle has just been the gift that keeps on giving.
1: Seriously. I got a lot of <laughs> mileage on this podcast. But um this book is Memories of Low Tide by Chantal Thomas. It is translated by Natasha Lehrer, and it is translated from the French and Thomas grew up in a seaside town on the coast of France, the Atlantic coast. And her mother loved the sea and loved swimming. And Chantal really got that from her. And so after her mother died, she sort of turns to her memories to see if she can understand her mother who was just loved the water. She apparently dived into the moat of the Palace of Versailles, but then through marriage and sort of, um, being tied to the domestic sphere was, you know, just a little changed by all of that. So Thomas writes with a lot of sensory imagery Writes in sort of like flashbulb memories. The chapters of this memoir are super short. It's very vignette style, much like the summer book. And so, through especially these sensory memories of swimming in the sea with her mother or dipping her toes in the cold water, she just really tries to reconnect with how she is her mother's daughter and what she got from her mother and who her mother was. So I think, you know, there are lots of reasons that this connects to the summer book, particularly the sort of seaside setting. But I think most of all, it's the imagery and the way that memory is written through here. So that is Memories of Low Tide by Chantal Thomas. I love that title too. How beautiful. All right.
0: All right. Well, those are six books we think would pair well with the summer book. All sound like good reads for right now, those contemplative books, but with lots of lovely nature imagery for summer. Chelsea, sometimes at the end of an episode, we also share a pick of the week, so a non-book Or sometimes an extra book if we can't help ourselves that we think would either go well thematically with our novel or enhance our readers understanding
1: of the novel. So do you have a pick of the week today? I do. I don't often listen to Glennon Doyle's new podcast, but I downloaded two episodes this week at the recommendation of a friend. And one of them that I listened to was all about fun and play and specifically how women can sometimes be conditioned out of fun and play because they are more concerned with being observed or um, just have different ideas about productivity and sometimes need rest instead of play. I just, I really enjoyed the conversation and the articulation of the difference between rest and play and what fun is exactly. Um, But then reading the summer book and seeing how grandmother, an elderly woman, engages in play, um, it just, it it definitely caused me to reflect and think about where I need more play in my life and what that means for me. The podcast episode strikes a different tone than the summer book for sure. But in reading the summer book so close to listening to that episode, it definitely, definitely brought up some reflection for me on what that sort of like what do you do with your imagination when you're a grown up? Or, you know, what do you do with the spare 15 minutes in your day if you're not looking at your phone? Just questions like that. And I will be thinking about it for a while. So I do recommend the episode in general. um, But I think it It just was in conversation with the summer book in an interesting way. So we will link to that specific episode in the show notes, but it's the, we can do hard things podcast with Glennon Doyle and her sister and this specific episode had Abby Wambach on it.
0: Oh, awesome. All right. Well, speaking of play and imagination, my picks of the week are just two links to learn a little bit more about Tova Janssen's Moomins because We mentioned them at the top of the episode, but you really have to like see these little Moomins to understand what we're talking about. They're like these little, they look like hippos standing on two feet doing funny things. Um, And I think it just like enhanced my reading of this book just to even see some of her cartoon work of the Moomins because I mean, I, I think you're you're so right, Chelsea, that this book, although it's about grief, there's so much about play and imagination worked in. And you can see why that's important to Tova Janssen by looking at some of her artwork. So you can just go to Moomin.com. That's spelled M-O-O-M-I-N. We'll also put a link in the show notes to see a lot of the art and read more about this world that she created. And then there's also a great New Yorker piece about her, her. they call it her private universe, and how she kind of spurred on her own imagination through the creation of these creatures and this world. So we'll link to that as
1: well. Well, listeners, at the top of the show, we made a little request for... Apple podcast reviews, we just want to reiterate how much those mean to us just personally. We love reading them and they really make our day, but also how important those are for growing our podcast. So if you haven't done so, please send your friends a link to the podcast or write a review on Apple podcasts for novel pairings. And if you want to go a step further to tangibly support the show, you can join Classics Club. And at the $5 level, you can get bonus episodes and just help us keep making the show every week. Um, Classics Club also gets live and recorded classes at the $8 level, and there's just a bunch of fun stuff over in that community. So patreon.com slash novel pairings is the place to go for more classic book talk, for more contemporary book talk more of our personal reading tastes, and book chat with your fellow literary nerds. And another way to stay connected with us is our newsletter, novelpairings.substack.com is a great place to go to learn about what's happening over on Patreon or our Instagram live schedules on Instagram and other new stuff as it pops up. So that's novelpairings.substack.com.
0: We are super excited to hear all about your experiences reading the summer book. Be sure to tag us on Instagram at Novel Pairings Pod if you share a review or your thoughts on this text. We also love to see when and where you're listening to the podcast. So take a screenshot of your phone right now, share it in your Instagram stories, and tag us to tell us and your other reader friends that you are listening to Novel Pairings. Thank you to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, we'll be back with another installment of Short Story Club. Subscribe to our newsletter or follow us on Instagram to find out what we're reading in July. Until then, we declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book.